This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. How you doing? Good to see you. Glad to have you with us. If you got your Bible, go ahead and get it out. You got some kind of a device with a Bible app on it. Get that out. Get ready. I'm not going to tell you where to turn because we're going to go all over the place. But just get it out and uh, get your new song app out. You can follow along with me there as well as your being transformed journals. As you're doing that, I uh, just want to welcome you. If you're new to New Song Church, my name is Josh and me and my wife, Sarah, we, we lead this church. And uh, after the service is over, we're going to be out in the lobby. And if you're new to the church, or let me even say this, if you're newer to the church, uh, we would love it if you stopped by and said hi to us. Maybe you've been coming for a month, but you've never stopped by. Make sure you stop by, say hi. We'd love to meet you. We'd love to put a face to a name. It's, it's, we've gotten to that point as a church where people will like tell me names sometimes, and I'm like, I have no idea who that is. Like That happens all the time. Uh, so it's nice to be able to put a name and a face together. And we also have a gift for you, so make sure you stop by and get that gift. All right? You guys good? Good. Well, uh, men, let me remind you, sign up for Men's Retreat. We'd love to have you with us. And then also tonight, ladies, is sanctuary. Tonight, uh, 6 o'clock, ladies are going to come together. And uh, there is no child care, but your, your daughters are welcome, fourth grade and up. Right, Sarah? Fourth grade and up is welcome to come. And it's going to be a night of just worship and prayer and just being in the presence of God. And so if you're into that kind of stuff, come. And if you're not into that kind of stuff, come, okay? Because it's going to be good. <laughs> If you're not into that kind of stuff, you should come because you need to be into that kind of stuff. So it's going to be really good. All right. We're beginning a brand new series today called Altars. And uh, oh, wait, let's welcome everybody that's watching online. I was noticing there's like 40 something people online. Come on, we can do better than that church. Welcome. Them. Great to have you with us. And uh, we're beginning a brand new series today called Altars. And uh, what we're going to be doing over the next four weeks is we're going to be talking about these, these four specific areas that we believe God is, is calling us to lift up as altars, as consecrated areas uh, unto the Lord. You know, we, we live in a world that is a very dark place. I think we all know that. And, and in this world, God has called us as the people of God to arise and shine, right? To, to, to bring light into the darkness. And one of the things that, that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 16 he, is he talks about how he's going to build the church and, and that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And so understand this, there, this idea there, and when it talks about the gates of hell, it's not talking about just like entering into hell, like how heaven has gates and, you know, you pass through the pearly gates. It's not that. It's that the enemy establishes strongholds in this world. And there's specific places where the enemy has established some strongholds, and he's, he's created these gates where he is kind of determining what's going in and what's coming out. And as the people of God, Jesus says, that he's going to establish his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Well, in order for that to happen, that we, we have to, as the people of God, as the church, go to where some of these gates are. Because gates, although they can open and close, they don't move from location to location. So we're called to go to those places and to win back those places for the kingdom of God. And when we, when we go after those places, Jesus promises us that those places will not prevail if we go after them. And so what we want to do is, is in this series, we want to look at four specific locations that we believe if, that if we can win these places back, take this ground back for the kingdom of God and reestablish these as places for the kingdom of God, that, that the kingdom will expand and revival will come. We want revival. You guys want revival? We want to see revival happen in our city, in our state, in our country, in our nation, in our world, in our time. 
And so we want to be a part of the move of God that brings that about. And so, uh, so for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about four places, the heart, the home, the church, and the community. Heart, home, church, and community. And I think we can all agree that it's in a lot of these places we can see the, some of the strongholds that the enemy has established. That the enemy has established some strongholds in the hearts of people that are keeping them from the fullness of life and from being the, the catalyst for revival that God's called them to be. In, in the homes, like the, you, know, you look at the statistics, divorce rate is just as high in the church as it is in the world. We, we meet people all the time that are coming to us, talking about their kids and saying stuff like, I don't know what to do with these guys. I don't know what to do with my teenagers in school right now. I don't know, I don't know how to deal with this. And in the church, we're, we're seeing a church that's compromising. We're seeing the church that's bowing down to some of the altars of culture of today. And, and then in our community, God's called us to establish some strongholds for the kingdom of God and tear down where the enemy is saying, this is what I'm allowing in and this is what I'm, I'm keeping out. We're going we're gonna to knock those things down and we're going to say, this is what God is bringing to these areas. Somebody say amen. amen. So it's going to be good. So today I'm going I'm to kick off this series. I got a little bit of a task ahead of me. Uh, one, I want to help you understand what altars are, give you kind of a theological understanding of what altars were in the Old Testament, what they look like today. I want to talk to you about how to make your heart an altar unto the Lord. And then we're going we're gonna to end this thing by, with, with a call to repentance. So we got, we got, some, we got a road to, to, to go down here. You guys ready for this? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. And then bow your heads, close your eyes, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we welcome you here. We thank you, Lord, that you want to encounter your people. We thank you, Lord, that you love your people. And so, Lord, as we look to your word today, I pray that you would bring wisdom and revelation through your word. Help us to see you. Help us to see those areas in our life, specifically in our heart, where maybe we've allowed stuff in that needs to be dealt with, that's keeping us from being who it is you want us to be in this world glorifying you, honoring you the way you deserve to be honored. Lord, we, we just pray, God, that you would open up our, our eyes to see, our ears to hear. We thank you that we're going to leave different than how we came into this place. And for all that you do today, we're careful to give you all the praise and the glory and the honor for it. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. So when God first created mankind, when he created the, the, the Garden of Eden in Genesis, and he sits, he sits Adam and Eve in this place, the Bible talks about how they had this, this relationship with him. And they had, they had complete access to the presence of God. In fact, the Bible talks about how, how God would, would, would come and he would, it says he would walk with them and talk with them in the cool of the day. And, and so a holy God can interact with his people in a very special way. They can have perfect access to his presence because the people are holy. But then what happens? We know what happens. Sin enters the world. Adam and Eve sin, and when they do, now because of sin, there's this breach in relationship. And now a holy God cannot connect with people like he once did because now those people are unholy. And so Adam and Eve are living in this world that God created, and yet in, in, a, in a sense it's kind of a God-forsaken world because they can no longer connect with him like they once did. But the nature of God is love. In fact, it's not just his nature, it's who he is. The Bible says that God is love. And so understand that even though they messed up, God still loved them. And somebody needs to hear this this morning. Just because you messed up doesn't mean God stops loving you. God still loves you even when you mess up because he is love. And, and he created you. Listen, he created you so you could be an object that he could love. That's why he made you. 
Because God is love. He needs an object that he could pour his affection into. And so he created people so he could express his love to you. And so you could express your love back to him. So God, God loved them and wants to connect with them. And now because of this sin, there, there's a bit of a, of a breach in this relationship. And they cannot have full access to the presence of God like they once did. And so God begins to start doing something. He would, he would begin to encounter his people in different places in the Old Testament where he would show up and he would count, encounter specific people in specific ways. And when he would do this, the people of the day would mark the occasion. Sometimes they would, they would uh, start like a festival or they would name a place or, or they would sing a song. But most of the time what they would do is, is they would build an altar. In fact, 400 times throughout the Old Testament, we see them building altars. And it was a way of them kind of sticking a flag in the ground. They would build these altars. And, and, and many times they would leave those altars there. And it would mark the occasion. It would say, hey, God showed up and interacted with people in this place right here. This may look like a normal place, but this is not a normal place because I met God right here. From a theological perspective, the, the idea of this is, is what's called memorializing theophany. Memorializing theophany. Theophany means this. It means a visible or perceptible manifestation of a deity to a human being. So God would show up. He would manifest himself to, to a person. And then they would memorialize that. Memorializing theophany is the practice of creating a memorial or commemorating to, or, or, or commemoration to mark significant encounter with the divine or a manifestation of God's presence. So they would mark that occasion. They would mark that place. They would say, God met me here. This place may look normal, but this is not a normal place. This is a place where God encountered people, where heaven and earth met in this place. An altar, by definition, if you're taking notes, is a sacred place to sacrifice to God and also to receive from God what only He can, can provide. An altar is an intersection. Think about it that way. It's like an intersection where heaven and earth meet. It's where God's world meets our world. It's where, it's where heaven and earth collide. And, and I bet if we went around this room today, there's probably some of you in here who can think of some specific places where God showed up in your life in a powerful way. I think back to when I was 17 years old and I was at a camp in Adair, Oklahoma. And, and, I, and if I'm being honest with you, I didn't go to this camp to have an encounter with God. I went to this camp to have an encounter with a girl that I liked, okay? So my heart was not in the right place, and yet God showed up while I was at this camp. And I was sitting there one evening, and I felt the call of God on my life in a powerful way. God's presence showed up, and he called me into ministry. And I went forward that night and had hands laid on me, and God gave me a glimpse into what he was going to do with my life, and it forever has marked my, my life that moment. I can think of a time years from, from then when, when me and Sarah were living in this little 1,100 square foot house in Tulsa, Oklahoma on Brookside near Cherry Street in Tulsa. And, and, and I was praying and I was, I was seeking God for the first time really in my whole life, even though I grew up in church, for the first time I'm really diving into the word and I'm really pursuing God. And, and in the process of that, I discovered that I could, I, I remember hearing that I could hear from the Lord that, that not only could I be led by his word, but that he wants to lead me by his voice, that his sheep hear his voice and are led by that. And I remember thinking, I want to hear the voice of God. I want, to, I want to know what that's like. And so I remember I was praying and I was seeking God. And I was saying, God, would you speak to me? God, would you show up? And there was this one night where God did. Like God, I, I felt like I, was, I had a thought and I thought, maybe this is God. And so I began to pursue that thought and walk in obedience to that thought. And like this miracle happened in our little home. And I knew that I knew that I knew that not only was I hearing God, but God was talking to me and I could obey him and I could be led by him. It's a powerful moment. 
I remember driving down this road from Tulsa on my way back to Dallas. I was living in Dallas at the time. I was a children's pastor at a church there. And I was driving back to Dallas after having visited my family. I was by myself. I was in the car. And I had been praying and I'd been worshiping and singing songs. And, and, and I felt like God had led me to ask a question. It was a question that I had been asking for, for years. In fact, since I was 17 years old and I, I felt God call me into ministry and then I felt him leading me to, to one day pastor. I would ask him from time to time, God, what's the church that I'm going to pastor? What's the name of the church that I'm going to pastor? And I would ask that question and God would never answer me. He would never tell me. Like he, he, he told me I was going to pastor, but then he would never give me any other glimpse into what that was going to look like. Now I know now as I've matured that it's because he wanted me to stay focused on where I was, not get so focused on where he was going to take Take me. But on this occasion, I felt like God said, hey, ask me. And so as I'm driving down the road, I said, Lord, what's the name of the church that I'm going to pastor? And in a moment, I, I heard it, New Song Church. And then God reminded me of this song by the band U2 called 40. That, that is a song based on Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. He set my feet upon the rock. He's given me a new song. Many will see what the Lord has done, and they will put their trust in him. God not only gave me the name of the church, but he gave me a vision for the church through the word. Isn't God cool? He can take a, a song by a secular band and make it a significant moment in my life. That's awesome. I'm sure you can think of moments in your life where God showed up, where heaven and earth met, an intersection where your life met up with God and it forever marked you and forever changed you. That's a picture of one of the things an altar can be. It can be a marked moment. It can be a place where God shows up and moves in a powerful, powerful way. An altar is also a place in the Old Testament where they would go to make sacrifices. They would make sacrifices for sin because remember, sin is a problem. They can't connect with God like they once did. And so they would go to these altars and they would build these altars in very specific ways. And then they would have to, to butcher and kill and, and, and sacrifice an animal in a very specific way because we don't, we don't worship God however we want to. We worship God the way he wants to be worshiped. And so they would have to, they would do this as an act of worship unto the Lord and make a sacrifice. And because of that sacrifice, their sin could be atoned for. Their sin could be covered. It wasn't completely eradicated, but it was covered. It's kind of like throwing a rug over a stain on the carpet still there. It's just kind of covered up. That's what would happen. God would cover it, but he, wouldn't, he wasn't necessarily completely putting a death blow to it in that moment. But yet it, for them to connect with God, they had to make this sacrifice. Uh, the, an altar was also a place where they would offer thanksgiving and worship unto the Lord. Many times they would build an altar and sometimes it wasn't to deal with their sin. It wasn't, it, it wasn't to, to mark an occasion. Sometimes it was just a moment of saying thank you unto the Lord. They would give what was called a free will offering or a thank offering unto the Lord. And they would build an altar to say, man, God, you have shown up. You have come through. When they cross over the Red Sea, they, they build an altar. When, when Noah comes out of the ark after he's been rescued from the flood, he builds an altar. In fact, that's the first altar we see in Scripture. David, after a great victory, would build an altar and it would mark a moment. It was a moment for them to say, God, I, from this altar, I say thank you. And I say, I love you. And I say, I am grateful that you have seen me through. You have come through for me. Altars were significant in scripture in the Old Testament. And yet it's also interesting because the, the, the children of God, the Israelite people, were not the only ones at this time that were building altars and making sacrifices. There were also pagan nations that were building their own kind of altars and making their own kind of sacrifices. And just so you know, in the world we live in today, we're not the only one making sacrifices and building altars and worshiping and bowing down 
to certain gods in this world. There are people in the world that are bowing down on the daily to different gods, not the true and holy God, Yahweh, that we serve, the, the God of Jesus that we serve, but, but, but other gods and other, other forms of worship are expressed all the time. And so there's this, there's this issue that arises between the children of Israel and the pagan nations where you've got the children of Israel over here and they're building these altars and they're stacking up stones and they're butchering animals and making these sacrifices. And they're looking over here and there's this group over here that's, that's kind of doing something similar, but they're doing it in, in really different ways. Sometimes using illicit sexual behavior in their worship, all sorts of debauchery. And, and there's this tear between the, the children of Israel and the pagan nation where they're going you know what, that looks like it would be more fun than what we're doing here. And so their hearts would begin to drift towards idol worship, towards worshiping of, of the things that the culture of the world says, hey, this is how we bow down, this is how we worship. We worship our way, not the way you're worshiping. And their hearts are pulled in all sorts of different directions. In Ezekiel 14, verse, verse 3, God talking to Ezekiel about this issue says this, Son of man, these men have set up idols. And notice where they did it. In their hearts. And they put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me at all? God says, hey, the problem is not just that externally they're building idols. The problem is that their heart in their heart, they're building idols. And their heart is divided against me. And they've allowed stuff to creep into their heart. And now their heart is pulled in a direction away from me. And, and, and their heart is straying from the one true God. Now, so you know, something about you that you need to understand is that uh, when God created you, when God created people, he created people to be worshipers. It's, it's in your wiring. It's in your makeup. You were wired by God to be a worshiper. It's just who you are. And so because of that, you worship, right? You, you, the, the issue of the day is not, do I worship? The issue is, do I worship the way I'm supposed to worship? The issue is not, am I bowing down to a God? The issue is, what God am I really bowing down to? This is the issue that we, we see in the world today. In fact, David Foster Wallace says this, in the day and age, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. In, in other words, even to the person who says, oh, I'm an atheist, I don't worship God. Yes, you, you worship something. You worship you. And, and you worship your atheism. Your, your, your faith is in, in your belief and your idol that you worship is the idol of I know better than God. John Piper says, human beings, all of us are worshipers. It's not a question of whether we worship, but what we worship. All of us, all the time, are reaching out with our, notice these words, or notice this word, hearts. Our heart, our, our heart, we, because we have this propensity towards worship, our heart tends to stray to the wrong things from time to time. So, so understand this, the question for you today is not, am I worshiping? The question is, what am I worshiping? And so you know, you will either intentionally worship the capital G God of creation, or you will unintentionally end up worshiping created things by that God in this world, lowercase g gods. And so the enemy of your life knows this about you. He knows you're a worshiper. And just so you know, I, I, I know I've said it here before at New Song, but it bears repeating for those who are new. There really is a real devil, okay? If you believe in Jesus, you have to believe in the devil because Jesus talked about the devil. 
So there really is a real devil, and the Bible makes it clear that he wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. He's not out for your good. He wants to ruin your life. He wants to pulverize you. And one of the things he wants to do is, is in stealing, he wants to steal your worship, and he wants to steal it away from God. So here's what he does. He doesn't come at you and say, hey, worship me. Like he doesn't come at you and say, hey, worship the devil. Because he knows, like for most people, if he comes to us and says, worship the devil, we're going to go, no, right? Not enough people are looking at me and nodding their head right now. <laughs> we don't worship the devil, okay? Look at the person beside you and say, we don't worship the devil. Okay, good. Well, now we got that clear. We don't worship the devil. And so he knows that. He's not dumb. And so what he does is he comes at us, and he, his goal is not to get us to worship him. His goal is just to get us to not worship God. And he knows something about you that maybe you don't know. He knows that the primary obstacle in your life that will keep you from worshiping God is you. And so he comes at you, and he begins to try to convince you that you know better than God. That maybe, you know, this God stuff, I mean, it's, it's the same trick he's been playing since the beginning. As God surely said, is this really how it has to be? Isn't there, a, isn't there a better way? And he wants to get you to set yourself on the throne of your heart. And he'll even, in, in this day and age, in the church world, one of the things he's doing is he's convincing people that they can worship God, but they can worship God their way. That, that you don't have to go to God and worship him the way he wants to be worshipped. You can worship God the way you want to worship God. You don't have to submit to all this stuff. You, you can kind of create your own way of worshiping God, however it best fits you and however it best fits into the culture of the day. There's a story in, in 2 Kings chapter 16 about this king named Ahaz. Somebody say Ahaz. Ahaz. And Ahaz is this king who is he's leading Israel in a time when the heart of Israel was very much away from God. And one of the reasons why uh, the heart of the people was away from God is because the leader, Ahaz, is probably, theologians say, he's the most wicked king that Israel ever had. He was participating in all sorts of sexual worship rituals that were an abomination to the Lord. He was, uh, he was building idols. He was even participating in human sacrifice. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 16, it talks about how he offered his own baby son to the God of Moloch, which if you know anything about how they would worship Moloch, it was a very satanic, demonic, evil uh, killing of an infant that would be done. And so King Ahaz is not a good king. And he, he's very much concerned by the culture that he finds himself living in. In fact, there's some, there's some enemy armies that are coming against him, and he's, he, they're, they're, Israel's having some victory, but they're very nervous. And, and, and there's this one king in Assyria that he's very afraid of. And so he wants to win the favor of this king in Assyria. So he goes to the king of Assyria to visit him, and when he visits him, he discovers that this king has this altar. And when he sees the altar to win favor with this king, he decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build an altar just like this back in Israel. And so he goes and he takes careful measurements of this altar and he, he sends it back to, to Israel. He says, I want you to build this altar. And then he invites the king of Assyria to come and to see his altar. He's kind of like, hey, look, I, I kind of like, I worship like you worship. Like we're kind of the same kind of person. And so he brings the king in and he asks the king to, to perform a, a ritual on the altar. And so this king does this ritual and, and performs this, this worship to this pagan god. And then the king Ahaz says, hey, this is how we're going to worship from, from here on out. And so get what he's doing here. He's looking at the culture of the world 
And he's saying, hey, I, I want to fit into the culture that's going on around here. So we're going to make some changes to how we worship. We're going to make some adjustments to the way we, we're, we're going to worship. And then he takes it a step further. And he takes the altar of God that was created and supposed to be very specific. And he begins to alter the altar. He begins to make alterations to the altar, to make the altar of God look more like the altar of the pagan gods, to make it look a little bit more acceptable and, and approving to the world outside, which isn't this just what we see taking place today? Christians who are bowing down to, to culture and saying, oh, let's, let's kind of, you know, let's take these verses out. These don't fit anymore. Let's make this a lot more, you know, acceptable to the culture of the world. We don't want to offend anybody. So that, you know, I know that this, what these people are doing over here, this doesn't agree with what the scripture says, but, but you know, we, can't we bend a little bit? Can't we kind of make some adjustments to this? Can't we compromise a little bit to make this fit better with the culture? He begins to alter the altar. And so, you know, the altar was, we were never designed to alter the altar. We're supposed to come to the altar and the altar is supposed to alter us. We're supposed to come to the altar and say, God, what needs to change in me? What is in my heart that needs to be uprooted and pulled away? We don't make changes to the altar. You don't alter the altar. We allow the altar to alter us. But King Ahaz starts making these alterations. One of the things he does is it says he, he takes what's, what's called the sea, the S-E-A. And it was, a, it was this water trough that was, that was this large water trough that they would fill with water. And they would actually submerge the altar into this water. And it was a picture of the Red Sea. It was a picture of what God had done for the children of Israel when he allowed them. He saved them. What, what happened at the Red Sea? They were dead. They were in trouble. They were about to be butchered by the Egyptians. And, G, and all of a sudden, God makes a way. And now they can escape. It's a picture of what Jesus would one day do. He would come and he would make a way so that we could have salvation. It was a reminder of them that God brought us to this place. It's all praise, all, all glory goes to God at the altar. Altar is a picture, that water was a picture of the word of God, that when we come to the altar, we come and we come the way the word says we come to the altar. We don't come any way we want to come. We come the way God invites us to come. It's a picture, the water is a picture of the Holy Spirit, that it's by the Holy Spirit that we're empowered to do what God calls us to do. But, but, but Ahaz starts making adjustments. He starts making changes. He builds an altar. And here's what he really does. He alters the altar so that he can build an altar unto himself. He's building an altar that's all about what he wants, that's all about what he's about, that's all about making him comfortable in the culture that he finds himself living in in, in the day. And I just want you to know, church, we don't get to alter the altar. Just so you know, we, we, don't, we're, we don't come to God and worship God however we want to. We come to God and we worship God the way he wants to be worshiped. And if you're coming to God any other way, if you come to God and the way you approach God and the way you approach worship is I'm going to worship you the way I want to worship you, guess what? You're not worshiping God. You're really worshiping you. God must be worshiped the way he wants to be worshiped. And so we see this, this thing taking place. They're altering the altar. They're, they're drifting towards perverted altars and false worship. And we see this taking place over and over again throughout the Old Testament. And then Jesus shows up. And thank God for Jesus. Amen? Amen? And he changes everything. Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, sin caused Adam and Eve to be cast out of Eden, losing their direct communion with God. Nevertheless, Jesus' sacrifice became the bridge that reestablished our access to the Father's presence. Jesus came and he changed everything. And now people who were once disconnected, who had to have 
who had to have an intermediary, who had to make sacrifices. Now they didn't have to do those things anymore because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus at the altar of the cross laid down his life and became the once and for all sacrifice for all of our sins for all time. Somebody say amen. Amen. And so now we come to God through Jesus and now we can have relationship with, with God once again and we can have this communion with God that was lost because of sin that was lost. Now we can have it back. Aren't you glad we don't have to come to church and bring stones and sheep and like we don't have like, hey, bring your sheep. It's butcher weekend. We don't have that anymore because of Jesus. I'm grateful for that. Jesus makes an incredible way. And now our, our lives can be altars through Jesus. Now we, here's the thing, we don't need altars like that anymore where we're we're trying to atone for our sins through altars, but God has invited us, he called us to now be the altars. He's called us to be people and through our life, we memorialize theophany. That we would be people that when the world sees us, they see a place where an intersection took place between God and man. And they can see something in us that points them to the living God who's working in us. They see us, we become those stakes in the ground that point to the world and say, hey, God showed up here. God showed up in this life. God did a work in this person and it's changed everything. We get to be the people who model that for a lost, broken, hurting world who can't figure out how to get this thing right. We can show them, hey, you get it right through Jesus, and he got it right in us, and he wants to get it right in you. 1 Peter 2 says this, as you come to him, talking about Jesus, the living stone. This is talking about how he was this altar for us to look to, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, we're the the altar now, we're the intersection, are are being built into a spiritual house. That's us, that's the church, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices, sacrifices of praise, of worship, of a bowed down, laid down life, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In the old covenant, it was just a few people that could connect with God. But now, because of Jesus, all of us can connect with God. And all of us can live lives where we're making sacrifices that burn the flame hot for God. That that point to a world that there is a God that's still at work and he's at work in people's lives and he wants to be at work in their life. We serve to be an altar unto the Lord. Hebrews 13 says this, through Jesus, therefore let us continually Offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Notice it's a continual thing. It's something that continues to go on. It's something that we continue to do with our life. The fruit of our lips that openly profess his name. In other words, we should be saying stuff out of our mouth that points people to a resurrected Jesus. That points people to life in Christ. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. In other words, you shouldn't just be talking about it though. You should be living a life that burns as an altar in the world that shows people that God is at work in this world. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. We now have the chance to make our hearts altars unto the Lord. To have a heart that is a place where we can do good from this place, we can, we can point people to Jesus, we can make sacrifices, we can bless the heart of God, and we can point people to Jesus through our altars. God wants your heart to be an altar. Now when I talk about your heart being an altar, Obviously, I'm not talking about your physical heart. I'm actually talking about the center of your being. The Bible, or not the Bible, but almost the Bible. Dallas Willard says it like this. (laughs) Life must be organized by the heart if it is to be organized at all. If your life is going to be organized at all, it's got to be organized 
internally by a heart surrendered to the Lord, it, it can be pulled together only from the inside. You know, in the world today, what people are trying to do is we're trying to fix everything on the outside and hope that that affects us on the inside. God says it's ba- that's backwards. It's from the inside out. God does a work inside of us, and it's from that new life he creates within us that now we live out in this world. We work out the salvation. The salvation he's brought inside now gets worked out into the world and brings salvation to the world. That is the function of the heart, spirit, or will, to organize our life as a whole and indeed to organize it around God. A great part of the disaster of contemporary life lies in the fact that it is organized around our human feelings, not around God. I want you to know, God, the heart, God's heart desire is your heart. Your heart is God's goal. Like, Understand this, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God are both fighting for your heart. Like, it's not a fight to prove something. Like, we're not trying to prove who's stronger. That's been proven. God is stronger. God knows that. The devil knows that. Hopefully, you know that. God is stronger. It, the, the fight with the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God is not, a, is not a fight to prove something. It's a fight to win something. And what both God and the enemy want to win is your heart. Why? Here's why. Proverbs 4.23 tells us, guard your heart above all else for it, your heart, determines the course of your life. In other words, your life follows your heart. So why does God want your heart? Because he wants your life. Because why? Because he's the only one that offers you real life. What did Jesus say? I've come that you may have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. He has real life. And because he loves you, he obviously wants your heart because he wants your life because he offers you the, re- the real life. And anything else is fake life. It's not real life and it's going to leave you hurting and broken. So it's through Jesus. It's through offering our life unto him, offering our heart unto him that we find life and that we can experience the peace and the purpose of God. We can have a heart full of his peace and full of his joy and full of his purpose because it's full of God. God wants your heart. So when we allow God to win our hearts, our lives begin to align with what he wants for us. God wants your heart. And and one of the other reasons why God wants your heart is because it's from your heart that revival is birthed. And we talk a lot about revival here at New Song, don't we? And I want you to know we want revival here. And we don't just want it. Like, we are working towards it. We are praying for it. We are planning for it. It's, it's, we, we strategize. How can we make room so God can move? How can we? You know, one of the reasons why we want more building space and is because we want to be we want to be able to steward a move of God. We want we want it to be when God des- decides to come and move and show up and show out like we believe He can do in a revival that we've got space and place so that the people can come and they can encounter the living God through revival like He wants to bring. We want to see this take place in our city, in our state, in our country, in our world, in our time. We want all this, but but here's the thing: before revival is going to take place out there you have to understand it has to take place in here it has to take place in your heart revival starts in the heart A.W. Tozer says the revival we need is not a revival that begins outside of us it's a revival that begins inside of us Spurgeon says revival begins in the individual's heart. Let it begin with you on your face alone before God. Turn from every sin that might hinder. Renew yourself to a new devotion to the Savior. Before revival can spread to the world, it must first burn brightly within our hearts as believers. John Wesley says a true believer is marked by a deep, 
hunger for God that starts in the individual heart and spreads to the community. Revival starts in the heart. So before we start making statements like, Jesus, win the world, the question we have to ask ourselves is, Jesus, have I allowed you to win my heart? Have I let you in my heart? Is there anything in my heart that might be pulling me away that, that causes my heart to be divided against what you would have me do? Is there stuff in my heart that is not pleasing to you, Lord? It's not pleasing to you. And if you're saying, you know, Pastor Josh, I'm not really sure. Here, here's a good way to figure out who sits on the throne of your heart. Follow the trail. Follow the trail of your time. Follow the trail of your money. Follow the trail of your allegiance. Follow the trail of your affection. And at the end of that trail, what you're, you're going to discover is a throne. And whatever sits on that throne is really who is God in your life. And if it's anyone but the God, if it's anyone but Jesus, it's a false idol. And it's always going to let you down. It's always going to disappoint. Arthur Wallace, in his book, in the day of thy power. It's a book about revival. He says this, when a relationship with a friend or loved one is causing your spiritual life to wane, we may suspect that one has become an idol. When we are seeking first our business interests and vainly supposing that God will add to us things of his kingdom, when in fact we are more concerned and anxious about material prosperity than spiritual prosperity, we should examine ourselves as to whether we are not joined to idols. When our homes and families become the, the be-all and end-all and we are prepared to make a spiritual compromise to please them, when some pastime or recreational interest is the absorbing passion, when we are more concerned about our outward appearance than the state of our hearts, when our minds are perpetually full of some material possession or, or uh, some human ambition, are we not as guilty of idolatry as any Israelite who bowed the knee to Baal? Arthur Wallace ain't playing. But listen, here's why. Because this ain't stuff to play around with. It's not stuff to play around with. We have to recognize God wants your heart. He doesn't want a piece of your heart. He doesn't want to break your top ten list. He wants to be number one. He wants all of you. He offers you what he offered, which was himself fully. But he wants it from you. He wants you to fully offer your life over to him. So the question becomes... Is it possible that maybe there's an area of our heart? Is, there, is it possible that maybe there's some stuff in our heart that isn't pleasing to a holy God? Now, I've got good news for you. And I love good news, don't you? Here's some good news for you. God's not asking you to fix your heart. He's not asking you to heal your heart. He's asking you to surrender your heart. And when you surrender your heart, then he can fix your heart then he can heal your heart. But surrender means I give up. Surrender means I recognize my way ain't working and I, I, I quit my way. And I'm quitting my way and I'm gonna do it your way from this moment on. And I want, I want you to hear me in this message. I, I don't want this to come across as a message where I'm saying to you, New Song Church, I'm saying to you, this is not what I'm saying to you. Hey, be better. Get it together. Quit, quit, quit it. Quit doing that. Quit being so bad. Quit being so morally uncool. Like, that's not what this is about. The call of this message is, hey, offer your heart to the Lord. Offer your life fully unto the Lord because He really offers you life. It's in Him that you're really going to find the life 
that, that not only that you need and that the people around you need, but that the world needs. It's found in, in him. So how do we get there? Here, here's where it starts. We have to have a repentant heart. Not a perfect heart, but a repentant heart. You know, we see this in the life of David. David, the Bible's interesting. It talks about David. It says he was a man after God's own heart. And yet, if you've been following along in the Being Transformed journey, you've probably noticed already, David didn't always nail it on the norm, right? He made some mistakes. And as you continue to read, guess what? You're going to discover he makes some more major mistakes. He counts the troops, which was an act of pride. He, he has sex with Bathsheba, which was adultery. He then has her husband murdered, which was murder. Like, he, he, he didn't... He didn't always get it right. And yet the Bible says, huh, and the Bible says he, he was a man after God's own heart. And what, it, what it's saying there, here's what you need to understand. What it's saying there is that he's not a perfect representation of God. But what it's saying is that he wasn't, it wasn't a perfect man from a morality perspective, but he was loyal. In fact, this is how God put it to me this week. Being a man after God's own heart is not about our morality. It's about our loyalty. And David had a heart that was loyal unto the Lord in that when he messed up, he would run quickly back to God. We see this in, in Psalm 51 after he's been caught in his sin and it's brought before his attention and he recognizes the weight of his sin. He very quickly goes to the Lord and says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He doesn't try to hide it. He doesn't pull the Adam and Eve and grab fig leaves and try to cover it up and do it in his own way. He, he immediately turns over to the Lord and says, God, I messed up. Fix me. Fix my heart. Heal my heart. I'm sorry. Created me a, a clean heart, Lord. He had a repentant heart. And this is what we need to have in our life. And so it would be a real shame to start off this series talking about altars, talking about burning bright for God and and talking about how like our life can be this place of intersection where God, heaven and earth meet. And to talk about how God wants to bring about revival and, and not ask the question, how's your heart? How's your heart? And for some of you right now, you already know, like there's stuff in my heart. Like you, you're thinking about it right now. There's stuff in my heart that I know I got to deal with. But then there's some of you in here and even some of you that have the thing that you're thinking about. There may be some other stuff in your heart that you don't know about. Other areas, because see what happens is sometimes we bury stuff in our heart. We, we grab wicked ways of the world and we tuck them in places in our heart and then we forget about them. And what we don't know is we're living from those places and they begin to entrap us and they begin to hurt us. And they, they actually, because we live out of our heart, we are living from them. We don't even know we are. So God invites us to offer our heart unto him. So here's what I want to do. I want to lead you in a prayer of offering your heart to the Holy Spirit to reveal anything in your heart that's not pleasing to God. It's, it's based on this. Um, Psalms 139 says, Search me, O God, know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I'm going to invite you to, to offer your heart to the, to the Lord in that way. Why? Because what it says at the end, lead me in the way everlasting. Some of you are not walking in the way everlasting. God wants you to step into that way. And so I'm going to ask you to submit your heart unto the Lord. And then I'm going to ask you to take it another step. And that is, I'm going, to ask, I'm going to invite you to confess what the Lord reveals to you to someone else. The Bible says this in Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. 
but the one who confesses and renounces them. That idea of confessing and renouncing our sin, it's an interesting phrase. It means that you look at what you've been doing. God shows you something and you look at it and you say the same thing about it that God says about it. You call it sin. You call it wrong. You call it detestable. And you don't just call it to you. And you don't even just call it to God. Because listen, it's easy to confess to the Lord. Because He's love. <laughs> Sometimes it's a lot harder to confess to someone else. And so the idea here is that we, we say about that thing what God says about that thing, and we say it to a trusted other. And it says when you do that, you find mercy. Find mercy. And the Bible tells us in James that we confess our sins to, to the Lord, and when, when we do that, we receive forgiveness, but we confess our sins to man to receive healing. Some of you have areas in your life where you're not, you're not moving ahead. You're not moving forward. It's, it, there's a stronghold. Listen, if you've been dealing with something for longer than three years, that's a stronghold in your life. You need to recognize that today. You need to recognize what you're doing ain't fixing it. And so we're going to, I'm going to invite you to invite the Lord, the Holy Spirit to show you, reveal some stuff to you. And I'm going to invite you to be bold and to do something with it and to and to confess it. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And we're gonna invite the Holy Spirit to come. In fact, I want you to just do that under your breath right there. Just say, Holy Spirit, would you come? Holy Spirit, would you come? We invite you here. We invite you into this moment, Lord. We invite you to create a moment where heaven and earth collide right here, an intersection between God and his people right here in this moment, Lord. We invite you, Holy Spirit, search our hearts Search our heart, Holy Spirit. Search our motives. Search our imaginations. Every, every area, Lord, search our sex lives. Search, search our finances. Search our affections, Lord. And if there's anything that's offensive to you, Lord, would you just, would you just highlight it for us? Would you bring it up so that we can see it? Show us what's not pleasing to you, Lord God. And we pray that you'd give us right now a grace to acknowledge it for what it is, that we would acknowledge it for being something that's not pleasing to you. We say the same thing about it that you say about it, Lord, that it's sin and it's, it's brokenness and we don't want anything to do with it, Lord. So we, we bring it before you right now. Thank you, Lord. For those in here, Lord, who maybe some unforgiveness. Maybe you've reminded them of a moment where there was a hurt that took place in their past that they, they've, they've been holding on and maybe they've even buried some bitterness based on that, Lord. I pray that you would help us to see that, God. Your, your word says in Hebrews 12 that, that the, the root of bitterness can grow up and trouble us. But we understand a root is, is something that, that chokes out, uh, like a root of bitterness chokes out us from being able to receive of the life that you offer. Some of you in here, you, you feel like you can't quite connect with God because you didn't know there was, a bit, there was some bitterness, there was some anger, there was some unforgiveness. But we surrender that over to you. We say, we say that we're sorry for holding on to something that's displeasing to you. Maybe for some of you, you've entertained some imaginations. You, you've, you've messed with some fantasy stuff. You've allowed stuff like pornography and stuff like that to pollute your heart, to, to pollute your mind. Lust has... has, has come in and, and what we say about it, it's detestable to you, Lord God. 
We say what you say about it and we, we bring it before you and we, we repent of it. We say that we're sorry. Lord, we, we, we repent of any area of our life where we've made, we've made trades for, for lesser commodities. Forgive us of that, God. And Lord, I know there's probably people in this room right now that are wrestling with, I'm not going forward. <laughs> You've highlighted some stuff, but they're just afraid. And I just pray, God, that you would break that off of them in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help them to take those thoughts captive and replace them with the genuine, life-giving, loving conviction, Lord, that you're not wanting to embarrass them. You're not wanting to hurt them. You're wanting to help them. You're wanting to free them, Lord. Let them see that. I pray that faith would rise up to take the steps necessary in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Church, would you do me a favor? Would you stand now? And I'm going to invite our altar ministry team to come down at this time. And I'm going to just invite you boldly. If, if the Holy Spirit has highlighted something in your life, no matter how big or how small it may be, I, I'm going to invite you to take a step of faith and be willing to step out and, and bring that, confess that to a trusted others. I got some trusted others down here. They're not, they don't want to embarrass you. They don't want to tell your, your law, like, put out your story forever. That's not what we're here for. We're just here to simply connect with you in this moment so that God can do the work because it's in you. Like what if, think about this, that thing, that area of your life, what if this could be that intersection? Like what if this is the place? What if this is that marked moment for your life? That, that in this moment, God changes everything because of a confession at an altar. What if like, Years from now, 20 years from now, you come to this building and you knock on the door and, and this isn't a church anymore because we're going to be somewhere else and we're a much bigger, nicer building than this, okay? But you're going to knock on the door and somebody's going to come to the door and you're going to say, hey, I got to go in there because it was in there. It was in there that God changed my life. God met me in that moment and changed everything. What if that could happen to you today? Isn't it worth it? Isn't he worthy of being obedient? Isn't he worthy? Yes, he is. Let's not, just, let's not just sing it. Let's live it out. Isn't he worthy of your obedience to do what he's asking you to do? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. So let's be obedient to the Lord today. If he's brought something before your heart, come down and let somebody know. We, we're here to pray with you about anything, whatever you're dealing with. We would love to pray with you, join our faith with you. So Lord, I just pray that you would... Uh, rise up in boldness in this moment in people. Rise up in faith that they would be willing to step out. You can start making your way down, but they'd be willing to step out. So Lord, you can do the work that you want to do in their heart. Lord, I, I, I sense I sense some hesitation. I speak to that in Jesus' name. I, I, I speak freedom over these people. I speak faith to rise up over these people in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, that you want to bring freedom. You want to bring life Lord, and we, we speak against the enemy who would lie to them, who would try to convince them that they can just do this their own way. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you want to bring freedom. So we, we, we say, yes, you're worth it, and yes, we will obey. Lord, I pray you draw all people to the altars who need to receive what you have for them today. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.